Welcome to the Book Marketing Action Podcast. We feature exciting guests, real conversations, and actions you can take to reach the biggest possible audience for your work. I'm Becky Robinson, your host for the podcast, the founder and CEO of Weaving Influence, and the author of Reach, Create the Biggest Possible Audience for Your Message, Book, or Cause. I also created the Reach More Readers Workshops. Thank you for choosing to learn with me, and I hope you'll take action today as a result of listening to this show. If you benefit from the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us to help us reach more listeners. Welcome to a very special episode of the Book Marketing Action Podcast. My name is Becky Robinson, and I was thrilled this morning to have the opportunity to interview Laura Vanderkam, who's a time management expert and an author. I hope you'll enjoy the interview. I was so glad to talk to Laura. Hi, everyone. Happy Wednesday. My name is Becky Robinson, and I am beyond thrilled to have this impromptu opportunity to interview the amazing Laura Vanderkam. So there are some business book authors who I followed for a long time, and Laura is one of them. I've been on her email list. I'm going to own from the start that I bought your books before, but I don't often follow through to read books like many other business book uh, buyers. Um, So your new book, Tranquility by Tuesday, launched yesterday. So Laura, congratulations and welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy that we can have this conversation. So just a little bit of background listeners, for those of you who may be watching or listening, we're going to make this into a bonus podcast episode. Um, But Laura, this is your sixth book. Do you want to share a little bit about your journey as an author so far? And then we want to talk about two things. We want to talk about time management because the topic of your books is time management and busy authors need to figure out how to fit marketing their books into the other demands of their lives. And we want to talk about your approaches to building your platform and marketing your books over the years. Yeah, well, that's definitely been something I have had to learn over the years. As you said, I mean, I think a lot of people come into the writing world because they like to write or, you know, there's another topic that they are passionate about and books are the way to get their ideas out to a bigger audience. Um, but the, the marketing aspect of it is entirely different. It's a, a different skill that, you know, you're not just trying to put ideas out there. You're trying to convince people to buy a product, uh, which is which is what a book is like any other product um, and, and sometimes even a more difficult product to sell because it makes demands of you, uh, unlike, say, a sweater. Uh, so, yeah, it's 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 a challenge. I've always wanted to be a writer. You know, I was um, doing some ghost writing early on in my career and kind of figured out the whole book writing process from that. At some point in my um, late 20s was kind of casting about for a topic that I could own. I have a lot of different things I like to write about, but time management was one that I was passionate about that also um, seemed to get a good audience, right? That people were interested in what I had to say about that. So, of course, you're always trying to find the overlap of topic I like and have something to say about topic people are, you know, willing to consume. And uh, so 168 Hours was my first um, time management book. And that came out in 2010. I got the contract for it in early 20, 2009, um, which was, you know, I, I had been sh- shopping around, you know, proposals for a while, um, you know, finally had some things come together. Lucky wound up shaping it with a team at Portfolio, which is, you know, at the time was part of Penguin, which is now part of Penguin Random House. 
Um, and then I've wound up doing all my other time management books through them as well. So, you know, every year or two, we come up with another idea. What do I want to say? That's a new angle. What new research could I do? Uh, and as you know, I've been doing this, trying to bring readers along for the ride, uh, trying to keep, you know, people who've bought one book uh, interested in the others and um, trying to build my platform along the way. Well, one of the reasons why I asked you to be on the podcast was because I want to be able to support your work as an author. So before we go farther and talk more about marketing, I'd love to give you the opportunity to tell about Tranquility by Tuesday in case there's anyone watching or listening who wants to go and buy the book right now and add to your launch week momentum. So why don't you give us the quick pitch for what Tranquility yeah, the quick is pitch. about? Yeah, Tranquility by Tuesday, nine ways to calm the chaos and make time for what matters is a book about what happened when I had 150 busy people try out my nine favorite time management rules over nine weeks. So every week they would learn a rule, answer questions about how they plan to use it, answer questions a week later about how it went. Uh, I measured people on various dimensions over the course of the nine weeks. I'm happy to report that when people follow these rules, they do in fact feel significantly better about their time. And so my promise is for people reading it that if you try these rules out as well, you will feel more satisfied with your time too. I mean, you'll feel like you're getting stuff done, but not just that you're getting stuff done, you'll feel like life is a lot more fun. Well, the interesting kind of coincidence that I have related to this book, and I was telling Laura this before we got on the live stream, is that my very best friend from high school who I communicate with every single day was a part of that study. She was one of the 150 people, and she even fed me some of the tidbits of the tips along the way. Um, and one of the rules has to do with having a a small adventure and a big adventure every week to make your life more memorable. I know already um, from reading the introduction to your book that there are some rules that people have resistance about. And that's one that I'm completely baffled about how I would ever live it out. <laughs> so, um, you know, maybe we'll have a chance to talk about that at some point, but I'm just going to count this as my small adventure this week. My small adventure <laughs> was pitching Laura to come on this live stream via DM on Instagram. Um, and here we are. So here's here my small are. adventure. Yeah, it's a great adventure. Now, and they, they don't have to be huge adventures. It's just something out of the ordinary, right? Something that's a little bit different, a little bit memorable. So we can keep our great routines. I'm, I'm all in favor of great routines, but we just spice life up a little bit so we remember where the time goes. Well, perfect. And I'm doing that right now. So um, I would love, Laura, to talk about some of your approaches to building your platform over the years. So you mentioned that you launched your first book back in 2010. You know, we are nearly 12 years later. So what has worked for you over those 12 years to continue to grow an audience for your work? Well, I think the key thing here you have to think about is it needs to be an audience for your work, right? You need your own people. And a lot of the marketing I have been doing this time around is really truly to my own built-in audience. And I think a lot of first-time authors hope or trust that they'll get a lot of media attention for their books. And they might, you know, you never know. You could get incredibly lucky, in which case, you know, be grateful for it. But it may not happen too. And so you need a way to connect with people that you know are already interested in your work. So in 2010, I did not necessarily have that built-in audience. I was writing for a lot of places and I wrote a lot of articles about 168 hours and I got some great publicity, but I didn't have a way to reach my own people. So after that book came out, 
I started my own newsletter list. Um, you know, I'm currently using MailChimp, but there's a lot of different providers that you can choose from. And you come up with some way to get people to give you their email address. Uh, you know, it's email marketing. It's not rocket science, but, you know, some way that people are going to want to give you their email address. And then you send them regular content that they are going to want to open and read, right? So that people are trained that when they see your name in their inbox, at least much of the time, they bother to see what you're saying. Um, and so I send out a monthly newsletter, among other things. Um, it's called Just a Minute, and that's been running since 2010. Uh, I think I started with about 400 addresses. I have pretty close to 50,000 on that list now, and it's all been just organic growth that every week somebody signs up, right? And my particular lead magnet that I've had for a long time for it is a time tracking spreadsheet along with a guide on how to do your own time makeover. Um, and so when people want access to this, they send in their email and they get, you know, my fancy spreadsheets and my little guide on how to do your own time makeover. Um, and, and so that was running for a long time. And then um, a couple of years ago, uh, my team and I decided to launch a weekly newsletter, um, which, you know, we, we started getting the people who were more active uh, to kind of funnel into that one. And so that is called A Week's Worth and comes out every Saturday. And so that's also, you know, tips, anything along the lines like that. And so, you know, the idea is just keep writing stuff that people want to read. And then when I have a book out or I have another product I'm launching, like a, a podcast or something like that, I can email these, you know, almost 50,000 people and let them know it's there. And, you know, I couldn't do that at the beginning. It just makes everything so much easier. Well, I'm glad that you clarified and said that you switched it to weekly because I was thinking that your newsletter was weekly. Well, I have uh, two. I still have the monthly one too. Um, so the, the monthly one is the one that goes out to the, you know, 50,000 people and the weekly one goes out to about 16, 17,000 people now. Yeah. So they're two, they're, they're overlap lists. Like the big one includes the small one, but the small one gets, they get more often. Got it. So tell me about some of the experiences you've had in cultivating that list. What has worked really well for you? And I want to just offer like praise because I, I look at a lot of different email newsletters since my company and I do this digital marketing on behalf of authors. And I love to get yours. I think one of the reasons is because even though I don't know you, I feel like I know you because you're sharing some of your own struggles with time management and also some of your own successes. So why do you think your newsletter has worked so well? Um, you know, well, there's two parts of it. One is getting people to sign up for it, right? Um, which is, you know, offering them something that they're going to want to have. But then you also have to keep people because obviously it's very easy to unsubscribe or to delete it every time or to make sure it's in bulk and you never see it or anything like that. Um, and, and so, you know, as soon as people sign up for the, the freebies, they get some of my old newsletters and hopefully those essays seem helpful enough to them that they bother to keep reading. And, and that's really what it is. Like, how can you serve your audience? And so you can't just be about, you know, marketing your own stuff. I mean, certainly I put links at the bottom of every newsletter about whatever I'm doing, you know, here's some podcasts that are out. Here's where I've appeared, you know, here's some stories that I've been in, or if I'm selling a book, here's, you know, what it is. Um, but the top of the newsletter is always an essay that is something that I feel like people would actually want to click on and read. 
Got it. That's helpful to share with those who might be new to email marketing or considering how to craft their own newsletter to bring value to their audience. So you said something really important a little while ago about the change in your journey from at the beginning, you didn't have an established audience and now you do. So let's talk for a moment about how you are using your existing audience as it relates to marketing the new book. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been thinking about how can I convert more people who are in this warm audience. So either they subscribe to my newsletter, they read my blog, or they listen to one of my two podcasts, right? Those are how people are within my universe already. And, you know, what I first, I have to let them know that there's a book coming out. Um, so we've been, you know, putting notices about that, uh, in, in various things. I, you know, do podcast episodes, mentioning it, um, put it in links in, in my newsletters, mention it on the blog, the whole process of writing. So I didn't want anyone to not be aware <laughs> that there was a book coming out. Uh, you know, it's a fine line because I don't want to bore people with it either. But, you know, just uh, to let people know that there is a book coming out and then to incentivize them to order early. And, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with writing a book whenever. But if you are already in my universe, it's nice to get people to you know, commit to it ahead of time. I mean, pre-orders are certainly helpful with the major publishers because they influence how many copies get printed. They influence how many copies retailers order, right? Like those are all things um, that uh, strong pre-orders can, can help uh, produce. So, um, you know, about a little over a month before Tranquility by Tuesday launched, I had some things that in as part of a pre-order campaign that I sent out to my list. And, you know, you just get some benefits from, from ordering. So on my website, I'd have, um, you know, the links to various retailers and then a form where you can fill out once you had pre-ordered and, and to get the bonuses. And the bonuses I chose this time around was an excerpt from the book. So you could go ahead and read the first chapter as soon as you bought a copy, even though you wouldn't get the full book for another month. Um, a scorecard. So the book is about nine rules on, you know, that people might say, well, how am I doing on following them? So there's a scorecard where you can, you know, see how you're doing and write it in. And, and so we had those versions. Um, I recorded a couple of videos, the Tranquility by Tuesday in real life series, and people who pre-ordered got advanced access to those that I'm now releasing broadly over the next month or so. And then finally, I'm having a gathering, an online gathering, just Zoom, you know, nothing, nothing fancy, but a week after launch where, you know, people who pre-ordered can come chat with me about the book and I'll answer questions and we'll just sort of, you know, talk about the book together. So those are the pre-orders kept, you know, mentioning those uh, on places, getting people to commit to the book early, thanking people if they told me I, that they had ordered, you know, just everything I could do for that. So I'm curious uh, what you think about the effectiveness of this particular pre-order campaign, because um, that was actually what got my attention. I liked the pre-order incentives that you created. I'm often coaching clients about how to put together their own, but I've always wondered if those incentives actually drive people to pre-order more, or if you see a, a bump that you wouldn't have seen if you didn't have the incentives. Hard to know, um, because I think a lot of those people would have probably bought the book on the first day out. And I know that I had um, pretty strong pre-sales this time around, but I had less of a bump from sending out my own newsletter on the day the book was out. So I think what happened is that a lot of people did, you know, move to pre-orders versus ordering on the first day. 
either is fine. Like I'm, I'm happy to have people buy the book whenever I was happy to have people pre-commit. Cause again, then I get the benefit of, you know, publishers and retailers seeing that demand for the book is strong. Um, but there's some element of, I mean, the people are going to buy the book. You hope you can create a bit more, um, motivation from people, but you know, it, it whether the incentives move them or if they move, because I also would mention things like, you know, Thank you for doing this, um, but also just mention a couple of things like one, it's helpful to me. <laughs> so if you have enjoyed these newsletters, these blog posts, these podcasts, I would really appreciate you pre-ordering the book as a favor to me. Right. So there was that. Um, I also, you know, put out things that I think might help convince people to move from being on the fence about buying it to, you know, doing it. Like, so put some of the testimonials in an email. And I actually sent out an email that was in essence, like if I've read your other books, should I buy this one? I remember that one. That was a good email. Well, because it's an obvious question. Like if you've got three Laura Vanderkam books on your shelf, I mean, first, thank you for doing that. But but you might have the obvious question. Well, why should I buy this one too? Um, is she actually going to say anything different about the 24 hours that I still have each week, you know, each day? Like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not. So I have a couple of, um, you know, pre-readers like early readers who'd read the book. And one, one lady sent me a lovely email about how she had in fact read all of my other books and yet she still found this one fresh and new. And so I basically reprinted her email in the newsletter with her permission, of course. Um, and then, you know, I threw in a quote from my husband who sent me, you know, in his notes saying, I think this is your best book yet. So it's like between the two of them, I, that actually moved some books because I think it answered the question. And then somebody who's you know, been forced to read all my stuff, <laughs> you know, giving, giving that testimonial. So, so I think that was helpful. Uh, that's really useful. So what I'm hearing is that you found different ways through your newsletter to convince people about the value that you'd be adding through the book. It wasn't just, Hey, pre-order, Hey, pre-order. You gave some reasons and helped people overcome resistance they might be feeling. Yeah, well, that's always what it is. I mean, you know, why does anyone buy anything? It's not just because like, hey, you should buy this. Well, it's okay. Well, you need to have some sort of desire um, and also some sort of reason to do it now. Um, and so those, I think I was trying to address those questions. Well, it'd be interesting to think about whether or not, so you mentioned the idea that you think potentially your launch day sales yesterday might have been less strong because you got more success on the pre-order. Ultimately, it's all the same. So the Amazon rank on day one is influenced by the pre-orders and it's, it has a cumulative effect. So there's no like real disadvantage to the pre-orders as it relates to that. Um, but I'd be curious about whether there's a way once you have those people pre-ordering to incentivize them to buy another book, like, you know, it's October. Are we thinking about Christmas gifts? Can you buy them this week? So anybody who's listening who might've already ordered Tranquility by Tuesday. Is there another busy person who, you know, and you know, I, I'm sure that your audience isn't only women, Laura, but my experience so far is that women will especially resonate with what you have to say because of how many things we're juggling. So if you're watching this, you already bought tranquility by Tuesday. Maybe there's another woman in your life who needs this book too. And so you already pre-ordered, but you can also help Laura to achieve more momentum by buying the book as a gift. And, you know, along those lines, I had this kind of internal struggle, Laura, because I, I prefer eBooks. I love to read on Kindle. 
But as a book marketer, I know that the sales of the print are most important. Those are the ones, you know, if if you could make the Wall Street Journal bestseller list as a hardcover book, you have to sell the hardcover book. You don't need to sell the audiobook or the ebook. I even texted my friend Jamie and said, like, don't pre-order the Kindle. That doesn't help as much. Pre-order the hardcover. <laughs> so well, it's all good. I mean, I want people to get the book, however they're going to read it, you know. So it's well, for uh, sure. But the hardcover. Hardcover, hardcovers are great. I, well, I like, I like hardcover books. I mean, it's always fun to curl up with a book. And if you think you're going to like take notes in the, in the margins, that's good. Yeah. Well, I've certainly thought about that. How can I get people to recommend it to a friend? Right. So, you know, definitely asking people to do that, um, to write reviews and their own channels and, um, you know, for the retailers, of course, but also just sharing on social media and in real life with their, their friends and family. But I also, um, and, and these things might, you know, we'll figure out exactly how we're distributing them for the moment. They're just going to be on my website, but um, I created two guides that are for book groups. Um, one is just a standard one meeting guide. So I know a lot of book clubs read a book a month, then meet one night and they need questions. So this is, you know, 10 questions you can ask at your little gathering with your, your wine and your book. Um, but then there's another version, which is for people who are really intense, who want to do nine rules, nine weeks just as the people in my Tranquility by Tuesday project did. So, you know, it's nine weeks of meetings where you discuss each chapter and, you know, put it into practice in your life and, and discuss how it went. And so there's, you know, questions to cover the nine weeks. Um, and, and so that guide uh, also exists. And so I'm, I'm, you know, trying to get my audience to look at those and say, well, is there a group of a couple friends or colleagues that you would like to read this book with? right? That you would like to work through this material over nine weeks or, or just one week, you know, that's fine too. But, you know, here's, here's some guides um, that might make it a little bit easier for you. Or, or even, I think you recommended in the introduction, if you want to take more time, one a month, you could do so one a month, in sure. like a nine month group. Yeah. Nine month group would work as well. Well, um, so let's shift gears a little bit, Laura. I was really wanting to talk with you a bit about how you, as a busy mom of five kids, ranging from toddler to teenager, have managed the book marketing journey alongside your other busy commitments and how you apply the rules of your own books, whether this one or past books that you've written, to carving out the important time to get momentum in marketing your books. Well, certainly I do sometimes try to follow my own rules. It's a work in progress. It's not not perfect. Um, but I do know that when I follow these rules, like the particular nine rules and tranquility by Tuesday, I mean, I didn't you know, pull these out of nowhere. They, I, they are the ones I really do think work, right? And, and life feels better when I do follow them. And so I've, I've definitely been trying to do that. Um, I mean, I do want to make clear, like producing content in its various forms is my full-time job. Right. So it's it's not like I'm trying to do something else and put this content out to the world. So it comes in different forms. I mean, I, I do have my two podcasts. I have a speaking business and I do the writing. But, you know, it all sort of feeds on it, on itself. It's it's all about getting my ideas out into the the universe. So, you know, I make time for it like any other work project. Um, you know, it comes in phases. Obviously, when I'm writing the book, there's a little bit less of the inherent marketing, but you have the systems that are going, you know, you're still collecting email addresses, you're still putting out the newsletters so that when you do want to put it out to an audience, you can do so. Um, you know, so having those ongoing systems, uh, which can be, most of it can be automated, uh, certainly the email collection um, that, you know, if you have something on your website, that's a lead magnet um, that people are signing up for, that process can be very straightforward. 
um, just, you know, you carve out time to create the content that is, you're going to use as marketing, right? So it doesn't take much time. Uh, you know, if you could probably in an hour or less write an essay that you could send out for the week. Um, and, and so just make sure it happens. Like if you need to give yourself a deadline every week, I think that's a good idea. Um, I think a lot of writers struggle with the fact that it doesn't have to happen. But if if you have a newsletter that you're like, this comes out every Saturday morning, like maybe that'll be a little bit more helpful to you to be like, oh yeah, well, and that's, you know, it has to be in loaded by, I don't know, Friday afternoon or whatever it is for, for you. Um, and I, I think, you know, just recognizing that it's also about um, building your network, um, that other people have their own audiences that if they want to share your work with their audiences over time, that can bring people into your audience as well. Um, so, you know, constantly getting to know other people, uh, getting to know other authors, doing what you can to promote their work. I mean, if you're looking for newsletter content, write about other people's books, right? Write about other people's things that they're putting out into the universe, because then, you know, they're, they, get the benefit of you having shared their work and then you know ideally there will be a trade-off and they will help you when the when the time comes around those are all amazing tips um and i was thinking about the nine rules particularly and how i might apply them as an author and you and i were talking before we went live about the rule about having a and maybe you can articulate it better obviously uh, the the backup time slot so my idea, what I'm taking away from that is, you know, if you have something that needs to fit into your schedule and you have it blocked off, have a backup plan of where else it could slot in, in case something goes awry. How did I do? Yeah, that was great. That was great. That was exactly what you need to do. Um, it, it's like the equivalent of a rain date, right? If you're invited to an outdoor party in the summer, sometimes there's a rain date on the invitation. And, you know, with that, the hosts are acknowledging that much can go predictably wrong outside. Like it's right there in the rain date name, right? But there's no question of whether the event will be rescheduled or for when. It will be on the rain date. And so, you know, if you do want to go to the event, you don't put anything that's unmovable in the second slot. And we can do that for anything else. Like maybe you, you know, spend your, your goal is to spend two hours on Wednesday afternoon on book marketing. But if for some reason that doesn't work, you know, your kid is homesick from school or, you know, another client emergency happens, you have to deal with where is the backup slot? Maybe you decide, well, it's, you know, Friday morning. If I can't do it Wednesday afternoon, I do it Friday morning. And anything that's important to you should, in fact, have a rain date. It should have a backup slot. Um, and, you know, I know this can kind of get unwieldy, like it's hard enough to carve out one time. Carving out two times seems a little bit crazy. Um, but by creating more open space in general in our lives, we have the option of where to put anything that, that we need to reschedule. Um, so, you know, being very careful not to pack your life completely full is a very wise move. So let, let's talk a bit more about that because my biggest single challenge as it relates to managing my time as a busy business owner has always been that I allow myself to get overscheduled. And so I've often asked myself the question, like, what is the ideal number of committed hours in any given day for meetings? And what's the ideal amount of space? Have you done anything in any of your previous books or is there anything in this book that would answer that my most burning time management? <laughs> burning. 
I think it would be different for everyone, right? I mean, and and so, you know, if you are a dentist, obviously you want to have most of your day booked with appointments. Like that's how you make your revenue, right? Whereas, you know, if your meetings are like internal corporate meetings that are, you know, everyone going around saying, I'm still doing my job. Well, that's a little bit different. That might not be quite as valuable. And maybe you would be a little bit more incentivized to get rid of some of those um, versus the, the dentist who obviously would like to optimize, you know, revenue for the practice. So there's, you know, a different, there's, there's different things going on with different kinds of work. What I have found for me, I can, I can pack the rest of the week pretty full if long, as long as I leave Friday open. Like that's, that is my goal because then whatever I don't get to earlier in the week can go to Friday. Um, but you know, I, I, sometimes I try to weigh it too. I'm like, well, you know, like there's certain beautiful times of the year, right? Like late October around here where I'd like to have a little bit more open space so I can go, you know, for a longer walk or bike ride during the day while my kids are at school. Cause it's harder to do once they're all home. Um, so, so those, you know, some, some certain weeks of the year, I'm a little bit more judicious <laughs> about even other days trying to keep them open if I can. Got it. Well, um, you know, my book came out in April, Laura, and one of the things I did the week my book came out is I tried to block my calendar from everything unless it was related to launching the book. So tell us as a six-time author, what does your launch week look like? This is the Wednesday of launch week. You made time for me, someone you didn't know on a whim to be on this live event. So uh, how are you organizing and managing your launch week time? Well, I do something pretty similar is that I don't book a lot for the launch week itself. Um, because for starters, a lot of the publicity I've been doing, I've been able to book ahead of time. Um, you know, many people knew the book was coming out. And since they were going to have me on their podcast, I would often have recorded it over the past two months um, so that it could be released in October at some point. Um, same thing with, you know, interviews I've done. But you want to leave, you know, space open so you can do things that, that come up. Um, you know, I was able to be on a radio program on WHYY on Monday, you know, it's my local NPR affiliate because, you know, it was, the time was available. Like I was able to, to do that. Um, you know, I'm definitely, uh, you know, doing a couple last minute things this week as they come up and, and having left the time open, it's, it's helpful for that. I've also, you know, in the past had some like last minute TV opportunities. Like you want to be on a morning show, like, you know, it kind of have to go do it. Like that involves, booking off the whole morning for, you know, I'm living in Philadelphia, so we're not that far from New York, but you said I'm still getting there um, is, is complicated, uh, you know, so it's just, you want to have the space for opportunities um, and particularly around a book launch, since a lot of what you know, you can do, you can book before the, the book itself comes out. Got it. Okay. That's helpful uh, to get a, an inside view of what you're up to during your launch week. Um, I have one more question for you related to celebration, and I'm sure there must be a rule that that maps to celebration, but I'm not remembering which one it might be. I always tell authors to make sure they make time during their launch weeks to celebrate. So I'm curious in what ways you are celebrating with your family or your colleagues this week. The yeah. So time. I had a, I had a short virtual toast, um, the night before launch, uh, where a couple of people, you know, gathered on zoom and raised our glasses. Um, I'm having a small, you know, in-person gathering at my house uh, in a couple of weeks and, uh, you know, just, it, but yeah, it's, it, you, it is hard because it's work, you know, you're trying to get the book out and sell copies and all that. It's, you've been working at it for a long, long time, but it's finally out in the world. And so you got to kind of pause and, 
savor it, but again, it still works. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not the world's best at this, but I am trying to, um, you know, say like, yeah, you, I, I think it's a good book. You know, I, I'm, I'm proud of it and I should be happy when I see it out in the world and see other people reading it and seeing that it makes a difference in their lives. I love that. Well, so let me try with a rule. You have a rule about effortful before effortless. Will you share that one last rule with us before we wrap up? Yeah. So this is one of the rules that maybe had some of the biggest effects on people's lives. So even the busiest people have some amount of leisure time in their lives. Uh, The problem is that much of it is short in duration or it's uncertain, you know, whether you'll get it or not, or it comes at a low energy time, like at night after your kids go to bed or after you finished with work or your chores. And, And so screen time fits all these constraints incredibly well. I mean, you can be on Twitter for two minutes or 20 minutes or two hours. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, you can, uh, you don't need a babysitter. Um, so, so there's screen, you know, social media, uh, television, all of that fits these constraints incredibly well. And so because that effortless fun is so effortless, it winds up filling the bulk of our leisure time. Even though in the abstract, people say they would prefer to spend their leisure time on other things, such as reading, hobbies, uh, you know, connecting with friends, things like that. So is there some way to get us to do more of that effort full fun and a bit less of the effort less fun? Not get rid of it, but just do a little bit less, switch the balance. And that's where this rule comes in. So anytime a spot of leisure time appears, aim to do just a few minutes of effort full fun before effortless fun. So read an ebook for two minutes before you switch over to social media. Um, Do a puzzle for 10 minutes before you turn on Netflix. And one of two things will happen. I mean, one, you might get so into your effortful fun that you just keep going um, because, you know, it's kind of want to see what happened in the book or, you know, get pieces going in the puzzle and it feels really good. Um, But even if that doesn't happen, even if you do switch over after a couple of minutes, at least you will have done both. Like, it's really hard to go do the effortless and then switch over to the effortful. People tend not to do that. Whereas if you do the effortful first, you just change the balance and it makes leisure time feel more rejuvenating. When people did this in the Tranquility by Tuesday project, you know, I had them various questions, various statements, and people said they, you know, strongly disagreed, agreed, strongly agreed, one to seven point scale. The statement, yesterday, I didn't waste time on things that weren't important to me. In the course of the study, people's agreement scores rose 32% on that question. And the bulk of it was that with this, this rule, right? You know, doing a bit of effortful fun before effortless, they felt like they wasted so much less time. Well, I wonder if there's a way of reframing that as it relates to book marketing. For those of us and creating content isn't our full-time job and book marketing feels like something that we have to add on top of our jobs. If we could try a few minutes at a time of the effortful fun of being out in the world with our books that we love, um, if that would also increase our happiness and feeling like we're using our time more wisely. Sure. I mean, and, and often when you say it's just a few minutes, that inspires a lot less resistance than being like, I need to do this for four hours. Like you probably won't do it for four hours. And that's just setting yourself up to fail. But if you say, okay, I'm going to spend 10 minutes on a book marketing task, and then I can do whatever else I would wish to do. You know, maybe you'll get into it. You'll keep going. Or even if you didn't, at least you did the 10 minutes and 10 minutes can add up when you do it consistently over a long period of time, you really get somewhere. Thank you so much, Laura, for spending part of your launch week uh, with me. Uh, Where can everyone find out and stay connected with you? Where's the best place they can go if they want to join your newsletter list, find out about your additional resources like the book 
guides and all the things you mentioned? Yeah, just come to my website, which is lauravandercam.com. That's just my name. Um, you can read my blog posts. You can sign up for my newsletter list. You can uh, read all about Tranquility by Tuesday or my various podcasts. Um, so I hope to see people there. Okay, thank you so much, Laura, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. At the end of every episode of the Book Marketing Action Podcast, I like to give you takeaways that you can implement immediately to move your book marketing forward. And I think I want to try something a little bit different today because every episode, I invite you to email me, Becky at weavinginfluence.com. And I don't get a ton of emails from listeners, and I would love to get some as a result of this episode. So once you've listened to my interview with Laura, I would love to send me an email and tell me what action steps you are inspired to take as a result of what you heard on this episode. I will respond to every email within a few days, and I look forward to hearing you take action on what you learned from this amazing interview. Thanks, and I look forward to being back at our regularly scheduled time next week. We have a great episode dropping next week with Martha Ann Toll, a fiction author, and you will not want to miss it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Book Marketing Action Podcast. If you haven't already, I hope you'll buy a copy of my new book, Reach. Create the biggest possible audience for your message, book, or cause. When you buy the book, you'll unlock a free course of Reach resources with more than 50 additional learning resources available exclusively for those who buy the book. Find out more and find links to buy the book at beckyrobinson.com forward slash book. If you've already read the book, I'd appreciate an Amazon review. Thanks.